Well, good morning, Journey. It's good to see you this morning. Well, good morning, Journey. It's good to see you this morning. Okay, gosh, I thought maybe there was a mute button on y'all. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the Bible teachers here. It's good to see you. As I said, we're going to be uh, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5 today. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, it's where we'll be. So just to kind of give you an overview of where we're going to be going, we, we are coming out of a series, an eight-week series on the Beatitudes we called Counter Kingdom. Uh, we are going into basically kind of, there's not really a series, it's, but it's going to be two weeks uh, today and next week uh, just kind of talking about gratitude. Uh, so we're going to be looking at gratitude for the next couple of weeks. And then on the 27th of November, we're going to be launching into a four-week series through Advent. Advent is a season in the church calendar. A lot of churches across a lot of different denominations look at the season of Advent of Christ's coming, looking at him coming at Christmas, looking at him coming again. And so for the next six weeks, we're talking about two weeks on gratitude this week, and then Kevin will do next week as well as we will have communion. So you don't want to miss that. And then four weeks on Advent that will basically lead us up to the end of the year. Hard to believe it's that close. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at, at we're going to be looking at uh, gratitude, and I think an, an outsider's look at at my life, and to be quite honest with you, like an outsider's look at all of y'all's lives, would probably be like this person has a lot to be grateful for. I mean, you look at my life; I've got a beautiful, brilliant wife. I've got kids that are loving the Lord, that are serving the Lord, that are healthy. I mean, we're all healthy. I may mean, not sound very healthy, but we all predominantly. Uh, are healthy, got a great career with a wonderful company. I've been with for 15 years, roof over my head, food to eat, all that, all that, you know, the drill. And yet this week I found myself very frustrated with certain aspects of my life. They say practice makes perfect. And I was practicing grumbling so well, I actually perfected it, I think, this week. And so Tuesday morning, I'm moping around the house a little bit, just about a certain situation going on. And basically, talking to my wife about it and, you know, she kind of looks at me and she says, you know, Nathan, maybe it would help you to start practicing what you're preaching on Sunday. Now, ouch. Like she meant that as to be an encouragement, but ouch. Like that was not a pleasant thought. Yeah, I probably should, you know, I am going to get up there and talk about that. I probably should be practicing that. And to make matters worse, that's Tuesday morning, Friday morning, I'm in the living room, you know, griping at the dog because the dog's driving me nuts and literally I'm in between preparing for the sermon. Like I got up early Friday, spent some time thinking about how I'm going to talk about gratitude and then I leave the office and I'm griping at the dog. I'm frustrated about little inconveniences about my Friday and my 17-year-old daughter walks up to me and she says, hey, dad, is there a beatitude? Did we talk about a beatitude like blessed are the humble? And I said, well, yes, blessed are the meek is the translation I use, but some translations say blessed are the humble. You know, I'm thinking like, she's engaging me on my sermon. I'm like, why are you? She goes like, oh yeah, I was there for that one. I'm like, why do you ask? She goes, because you're being dramatic. (laughs) And you're being a little woe is me. And I thought you might could use some humility. I got humility. It was a humbling week under the roof of my house. And the question for me and for all of us, I think, is this, and that's just that, like, why does gratitude feel so elusive to us? Because it's not because we have nothing to be grateful for. Why is gratitude so elusive? And why does it take, like, even at Thanksgiving, it takes focus 
to like, what am I grateful for? Do I need to make a list? You know, like I see people on social media, they're like, every day of the month of November, I'm going to talk about things I'm thankful for. And even Charles Dickens, he says this, he says, reflect upon your present blessings of which every man has many, not on your past misfortunes of which all men have some. You see, while Dickens may be right, I think for many of us, we perceive the opposite is true, that we have some blessings and many misfortunes, at least with the lack of gratitude that I observe in my life and honestly, a lot of the lack of gratitude I observe in other people's lives, it seems that that is our perception anyway. And I'm sure like all of us here would say we have some blessings, maybe even would say like even right now we have some present blessings. Misfortunes tend to get most of our focus. <clears throat> and sometimes they're not just like misfortunes, they're, they're menial things. Like my Friday morning, like nothing bad really happened to me. I was just cranky, woe is me. But sometimes they are more than misfortunes. They're difficulties in your life. Sometimes there are losses in our lives. So maybe for us, gratitude is like a part-time thing when circumstances might dictate that we should be grateful. Or maybe gratitude is a seasonal part of life like Thanksgiving is a seasonal part of life. Except the problem with that is that Scripture speaks of gratitude with an expectation that it is pervasive in the life of a Christ follower. In fact, the Bible speaks of gratitude as though it should be as natural for disciples of Jesus as breathing. So while the topic of gratitude is quite large and could result in an entire series, here's what I wanna do today is I wanna hone in on kind of three ideas about gratitude that I think might help us understand where we're at with it and how we might do better with it. And that is number one, the encompassing call for gratitude. I want us to talk about the encompassing call for gratitude. I want us to look at the complexities of ingratitude. And then I want us to see the simplicity of Christian gratitude, okay? So the encompassing call for it, the complexities of ingratitude, and then the simplicity of Christian gratitude. So starting with the encompassing call for gratitude, then this first idea that I want to talk about will be pretty quick. I mean, there are a lot of places I could go in scripture that would show us that there's this call for consistent gratitude in our lives. I mean, it's all throughout the epistles, all the letters talk a lot about it. But the one that struck me most this week is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Here's what it says. Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we find these instructions at the end of Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. And as Paul typically does at the end of his letter, he, he finally finishes it up with a lot of exhortations and encouragements. I mean, even your, my translation that I'm studying this week said further instructions before it got into all these things. I mean, these are the ways he, a lot of times he wraps up his letters. And his letter to the Thessalonian church is predominantly about the second coming of Christ, trying to encourage them with the hope that they have that Jesus is coming back, even in the difficulties of their life, even when they need perseverance, even when they need to endure, Jesus is coming back. He's pointing them constantly in the letter, every single chapter at some point to the hope of Jesus's return. And it's inside this context that we have Paul's exhortation to three things. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. 
And Paul doesn't leave room for us to kind of wiggle out of this, well, surely not all the time. It doesn't appear that there's any seasonal aspect for Paul to rejoicing or to praying continually or to giving thanks. You see, it's not when the leaves turn outside to the beautiful colors that we should start, okay, what am I going to be thankful for now? It's not when that yummy turkey is in the oven that we then begin to make that list of what all we're thankful for. And it's not that we should be joyful in life only when it's going well and difficulty is out of sight. No, instead, when Paul exhorts rejoicing, when he exhorts you to prayer, when he talks about giving thanks, he uses the qualifiers always, without ceasing, in all circumstances. Why? Because gratitude is good for us. God has always instructed his people throughout history to remember him and all that he's done for them. Most notably, we think about Passover and the time of the Exodus, but also just really throughout all of Israel's history, God establishes different festivals or different markers in their year so that his people won't forget, because we're so prone to forget, won't forget him, won't forget the covenant that they made with him and that more importantly, he made with them and so that they won't forget all that they have to be grateful for. And one way the New Testament picks up this mantle and carries it over is this expectation that disciples of Jesus would continue in this. And the way we do this is through communion, number one, remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then it's certain disciplines in our lives, disciplines like rejoicing in all that God has done. But even rejoicing in difficulty. If you were here last week, we talked about blessed are those who are persecuted. And Jesus says that when we are persecuted for righteousness sake or on account of his name, our disposition is to what? Rejoice and be glad. We are to rejoice always. But not only the discipline of rejoicing, we have the discipline of prayer. And that means the disciples of Jesus consistently communicate with their father. We don't give him the cold shoulder. We don't act like we have life just fine without him when things are going well. He is our lifeline and prayer is the way that we engage with him. It's a way of remembrance as we pray, a way of engaging with our father. We pray without ceasing and we give thanks in all circumstances. Like our heart should be filled with gratitude. And notice for Paul, this is not a suggestion. He's like, hey, if you get around to it, rejoice. If you can fit it into your time, pray. And if you got some stuff in your life to be thankful for, make sure and do that. No, he says, these three things, rejoice, pray, give thanks. And he says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of us walk around life going like, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Well, here's three things I can tell you in black and white. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And so now, like, I think, like, this should be done. This message is done. It was a lot of hard work. We can pray and sing. We see it in the Bible. That's what we're going to start doing. Rejoicing, praying, singing, giving thanks. It's that easy. I mean, that's what happened for me. I mean, when my wife was like, practice what you preach, I immediately was like, giving thanks, praising God, totally humble. No, obviously, it's not quite how it went. So while followers of Jesus may know that this is an encompassing call, we get all jumbled up in our hearts and in our heads when it comes to gratitude. Why is that? I think because in reality, we live in a complex world with complex emotions 
And ingratitude is a default position for all of us, apart from some intentionality in our life. I mean, I don't know if you're like me, I would assume you are. We have so much going on, so many places to be, so many desires that one we either have naturally or that, or that just culturally we, we tend to find ourselves wanting because of where we live and the time we live. We have our attention pulled in all different kinds of directions. We can often search for some off ramps when life gets hard on that narrow road we call life with Jesus. And when we do that, sometimes we fall into these ditches just off the exit and we reach dead ends on that wider road we thought would lead us to joy. And we're just like so ungrateful. And gratitude, it creeps in and sometimes it doesn't creep in. Sometimes ingratitude comes in hot. And we often don't realize ingratitude didn't exactly have to break into our lives, right? Instead, we actually find that we've left the door to our heart and our mind wide open for ingratitude to creep in. And so I think there are three pitfalls that actually bring complexity to gratitude. And there's more than three, but there are three today for our sake of time that I want to talk about. I'm calling these pitfall pitfalls, complexities to gratitude, or you could say to ingratitude, right? It's not simple. These are not simple things. It's not that we simply want to be ungrateful. Like I believe all of us in here don't want to be ungrateful. When you're an ungrateful person, you're not pleasant. You don't even enjoy being with yourself. So it's not that we don't want to be grateful, but the reality is just that ingratitude in the lives of people often comes because there's complex things that we engage with in our hearts and in our minds. And the first complexity I want to talk about is comparison. You see, comparison kind of has two ways you can go about it, from a negative point of view, from a positive point of view. But first, comparison from a negative point of view. And what I mean by that is, is that you are comparing yourself, your life to somebody else, and you feel like you are in the negative in that comparison. And when you do that, it robs you of joy because we're focused not on what we actually have to be grateful for, but we're focused on what others have that we do not. It could be a relationship. You would think about your spouse. I'm not saying you're, you're wanting somebody else's spouse, although that could be the case because Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments is don't covet your neighbor's wife. I mean, that's clearly something that may happen. But I think what more happens for us, especially people of God, is that we covet the, the relationship of someone else. We look at the way that, that she looks at her husband and we think, I wish my wife looked at me like that. We look at the way that he dotes on her or talks to her and we think, I wish my husband did that. We, we have a sense of comparison, like why aren't you more like them in our relationships? We see it with our children too. It's not, again, it's not that you want somebody else's child to be your child. It's more like, you're like, why do you not talk to me? Why don't you respect me like they do? Why aren't you working as hard at your grades like they are? You, you may not say that to them, but you, a lot of times we, we compare. It's just natural in our world to compare. We compare things like friendships. I, I have friendships in my life that I'm grateful for them, but there have been times even where I've talked to my wife, like I wish I had more friendships. And when that comes from is that I'm looking at somebody else, I'm like, man, that's a really cool friendship they have. I want one like that or whatever. Doesn't matter what your age is. We have a comparison issue in our life and especially around relationships. We also have it around quality of life, wealth, like we wish we had more money. And there's always somebody that you know that's got more than you, right? We wish we had more money. We wish we were able to take more vacations or better vacations. 
We wish we had more success like him or like her. We see it with possessions. We see it with talents. Wish I was as smooth as they are. Wish I was as athletic as her. You see, comparison leads to ingratitude and sometimes comparison leads to its ugly cousin, coveting. Someone else has it and you want it, so you covet. Like I said already, in the Ten Commandments, God says do not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's servants. Why is that? Well, because number one, it leads you to ingratitude. Number two, it leads you to idolatry. But number three, it leads you to actually question God's goodness in your life. When you compare your life to others, it's, it's as if you're looking at God and going like, why didn't you give me that? You're not good. You're not wise. Because if you did, you'd know I need that. Comparison robs us. When we compare and we covet, we're calling God to an account. And that's not good. Comparison and coveting, they bring complexity into our lives and they lead to ingratitude. But we can also engage from compare, in comparison from a positive point of view. Like we look down on others. And this robs us of gratitude because if simply finding someone better or that we're better than or that we have more than, we can look down on them and compare from a positive perspective and be like, look, I, at least I'm not like that. And what ends up happening is things in our life that we should be grateful for, we end up just becoming prideful about comparison. It's a killer to gratitude. And we can open the door to comparison in so many ways that we don't even probably think about from social circles that we run in to social media that we see and observe and let really filter our minds for hours on end for things that we watch on TV. But you don't even have to do that. It can just be in your family. Like you might have people in your family that are just better off than you. And you're just like, wait, I wish I could do more like they do. Wish I could go like they go. Could be your friends. Gratitude in reality is crushed in the vice grip of comparison. It either stirs up in gratitude of what you don't have or it shifts your heart from gratitude to justification when you think I'm better than them. I don't have it as bad as they do. It robs our hearts of gratitude, but it's not just comparison, it's impatience too. We are an impatient people. That's complexity number two. Like some of you may be more patient than others, but let me tell you, don't compare yourself. Some of you might be more patient than others. But in the end, as a society, we are impatient. My wife and daughter and I have been watching this show on Hulu. And you, you know, you pay Hulu money, you still gotta watch ads. That just ain't right. And so we're watching this show and it feels like every seven minutes or something, ads come up. And at the top of the corner of the screen, it's like 90, it counts down the ads, how nice of them. Uh, but you're like, I've got a, I got a minute and a half of advertisements of commercials. What the heck? Get me back to my show. I want to know when this is going down. Let's go. This is ridiculous. And then I realized like, when I grew up, that was life, right? Like you want to watch Full House? You better be home on TGIF Friday night, you know, or put, put, get a VCR and put a tape in that mug and get it set up. No DVR, no Hulu, right? I mean, Urkel's only going to come on at 730. But now we're so conditioned to be impatient. You know, even like I watch a lot of sports and I like to watch it live because people text me during the games when it's not live, it's not good. And so, but that means I'm waiting through commercials. And sometimes those are like five minutes at a time. We're so impatient. We're so geared towards just like this needs to go. And the internet's the same thing. I remember being a, state, a student at Arkansas State in the late 90s. 
and like going down to the computer lab because, you know, they had a little bit better internet. My internet somewhere else was like, get on, you know, you know, like you're just waiting for it to come, waiting to get online, downloading that song from Napster, hoping no one picks up the phone while you're trying to do it, right? And now it's like, if my phone does, if Google doesn't work immediately, I'm like resetting my phone. I'm like, something's wrong with this thing. We're just impatient. You take that, you look at like rising debt, get rich quick, get thin quick. There's just so many different things that we look for. We are an impatient society. We're impatient for more, impatient for better. We want it now if we can't get it yesterday. And this leads to a continual lack of gratitude for what we can afford now. A lack of gratitude for what we might can afford later. And I mean, I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm here with you. This is a lack of gratitude for where we are in life. And patience brings complexity to our gratitude. And it opens the door for deeper ingratitude because we just don't have what we want when we want it. And then you look at the third complexity. If you don't feel anything yet, this one might get you. The final complexity I want to address is self-glorification. Like, what is that? Well, our day and time is about magnifying self, making a name, gathering a following, increasing my influence, building my brand, gaining more power. We are a culture built not on service of others, but on magnification of self. And this plays out in a lot of ways, both in the church, sadly, and outside it. I mean, how many followers is enough? How much influence is sufficient? How much power do you really need? But what is most devastating about self-glorification is that at the root of it, at the root of magnification of self is that we want to be God of our little world and maybe even other people's little world. And we prop ourselves up as the ultimate authority. I define life. I define what's true. Don't you tell me what's true. Don't give me some exclusive truth. I will tell you if it's right for me. I live my truth. We define all kinds of things. We are little G gods in our little worlds, and we want to be little G gods of your world possibly too. You know, the word glory means weight, and we want to give ourselves the most weight. You might be thinking like, what does this have to do with gratitude? Well, self-glorification brings all kinds of complexities actually to gratitude. You see, it's hard to be grateful when you're the center of the universe. You know why? Because you're probably not the center of anybody else's. And you need everyone else, though, to see you, at least everyone in your circle, to see you as the center of the universe. You need everyone around you to approve and affirm your glory, your weight. You want, like a, like a rock thrown into water, you want to be the rock that's thrown into people's lives and they all disorient and come around you. This is the human heart. Don't you see these pitfalls, they lead to making gratitude complex in our hearts, in our minds. Instead of just simply being grateful for the blessings in your life, you just see the blessings that you don't have, that someone else has. And this makes gratitude complex. Instead of being thankful that you have things already, you're on to the next one. I mean, we see this with our kids, right? You get them something new, next time they're at the store, they have to have the next thing. Are we really that different? Instead of being grateful for someone who loves you, you need to just not just have their love. You need to have them orient their life around you for you to be satisfied. Our gratitude becomes complex. 
And it's completely circumstantial. We need more approval, more glory, more stuff, more influence, more power, and we need it all right now. And the complexity of ingratitude combined with the current kind of circumstantial lens through which we view life makes consistent gratitude a fool's errand. Or does it? Does it? See, we need simplicity in a world of complexities. And I believe if we want to, we can find it. In the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossian church, he distills out for us, I think, a three-verse summary that just might give us what I'm calling a baseline for Christian gratitude. Paul is addressing the church in his introduction. He talks about his thankfulness of how God planted the church. God, Paul did not plant this church. He's gotten word of this church. So he's writing to encourage them. He's thanking God at the beginning of all that he's done at Colossae. And after he thanks God, Paul goes into this prayer over this Colossian church. And, and I just want to read the entire prayer over us. So it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. Here's what he says. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience." And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul lets us in on the simplicity of Christian gratitude. Do you see that? Look at verse 12 through 14. It's in the very middle of a sentence. It's in the very middle of his prayer. But there are clues in verses 12 through 14 about how we can actually develop a baseline for gratitude. For, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there, I think there are three things that we can pull away from this that can give us kind of a, not just a simplistic path to, to gratitude, but actually create a baseline for what he calls joyful thanks. And here they are. Number one, we've been qualified for an inheritance. Number two, we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. And number three, we have been redeemed by Jesus who loves us. So let's quickly, as we close, look at all three. First, we have been qualified for an inheritance. Look at verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his peop holy people in the kingdom of light. Do you see here, this can actually address the complexity of impatience. How is that? We have an inheritance. Okay, well, that itself doesn't really make us more patient. It probably makes you a little bit less patient in a way. You're like, oh, I gotta wait till the end. But here's what it does is it redirects our hope and our mind to something that is coming for us down the road. And our inheritance is sure. And why do I say that? Because look who qualifies us. God himself 
qualifies us for an inheritance. Do you see, apart from the good news of Jesus, that you can only be made right with God through him, we spend our lives trying to qualify ourselves for approval from those we need it from. Our life is one big attempt at qualification. This quest to be qualified as worthy is a symptom of a deeper gut feeling that we are all born with, that the human heart needs as an affirmation from those around us. And most importantly, what we don't always realize, what we're looking for is affirmation from our maker. Affirmation that, that he loves us, that we aren't a mistake, that he's intentional when he made us. You see, we, we need that affirmation at the deepest core of who we are. But Paul says, you don't get qualified. You don't get affirmed with God by an, and, and get this inheritance by yourself, by your works. Instead, God qualifies us, he says. And how does he do it? He does it by grace, through faith in Christ. He makes us a part of his holy people now. He puts us in the kingdom of light now. And he puts us in the kingdom of light as well for the long haul, what will ultimately come, the new heavens, the new earth, the inheritance. This is secure. Why? Because he qualifies us. And when we see that it's not something that we earn, it's not some sort of like, oh, I gotta get there. I, gotta, I hope today he's happy enough with me to maybe give me some of my inheritance. Instead, we know it is secure now because of our faith in Christ. He qualifies us. This creates gratitude. And that in this life, verse 11, leads to patience and endurance. See, we've been, we've been qualified for an inheritance, but not just that. We've been rescued from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. Look at verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. If you believe this, it will help with the complexity of comparison. You see, as I've already said, we tend to compare ourselves to others, which leads to ingratitude. But look at this new comparison we can have in our life. This comparison doesn't lead to ingratitude. It actually leads to increasing gratitude. Where, was Jesus, where were you when Jesus found you? I asked that a few weeks ago. Where were you when Jesus found you? Were you selfish? Were you angry? Were you giving in to evil desires? Were you disobedient? God of your own life? Were you doing good deeds, but with wrong motives? How did Jesus find you? Whether you were seven, like me, whether you're nine, like Easton, whether he found you late in life, wherever he found you, I can tell you this, he found you under the dominion of darkness. Amen. That's how he found you. And it's not where he left you. Amen. If you were in Christ Jesus by faith, he has rescued you. From the dominion. You know what the word dominion means? It means like a governing, an authority over you. You were you under the authority of darkness and he rescued you from that. He rescued you. He didn't leave you there. He rescues you. Do you see how little you have to do with this? Do you see how much you are the receiver in this scenario? He brought you into the kingdom of light. 
He qualifies you for an inheritance. This creates so much gratitude and praise that he rescues us and then he plants us in his kingdom forever. You see, this is a good comparison in your life. This is a comparison that leads to gratitude because you're able to go, this is who I was and this is what he did for me. This is where I was and this is where he placed me. When we compare what he's done in our life, it creates an actual sense of gratitude instead of comparing who we are compared to the people around us that tends to lead to ingratitude. And lastly, we've been redeemed by Jesus who loves us. Look at verse 13 and 14. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And finally, this addresses the complexity of self-glorification where we make much of ourselves. Why? Because when we are the little G God, we are rebuking, we are turning away from the God who made us. We are saying, I'll do my life my way. And this creates a gap between us and the Lord. This is called sin. Sin is not just little bad things that we do. While it is that, it is actually a posture that says, I don't want you. I will do things my way. I will be God. And yet that's self-glorification. And yet what does Jesus do? He buys us back. He redeems us by the blood of his cross. And then he says, I forgive you of your sins. I hold them against you no longer. As the Psalms say, I separate your sins from the east as far as the east is from the west. In Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, don't you see this is a baseline. This is a baseline for Christian gratitude. It's a new identity. A baseline is basically just a minimum or a starting point that's used for comparison. That's the definition of a baseline, unless you're in basketball. It's a minimum or it's a starting point for comparison. So if you are in Christ Jesus by faith, then you've been redeemed. You've been forgiven of your sins. You've been rescued from the darkness, dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. You have an inheritance. And if that is your baseline, then think about the blessings of this life. No matter what you attain or acquire in this life, that's a blessing. Whether it be your family, whether it be your health, whether it be your wealth, whether it be fun trips and cool experiences and vacations, all of this doesn't meet the baseline. It doesn't even meet the minimum because in comparison to that, to that, Jesus and what he has done is far better. That means that the good blessings and the positive circumstances that you find yourself in, in this life, when you compare it to your baseline for gratitude are merely something that you can actually enjoy for the glory of God instead of holding on to them, afraid you're gonna lose them. Instead of enjoying like the blessing for the blessing itself, you can enjoy the maker who allowed you to experience this blessing. It means we're less tethered to those blessings than you typically would be before. And you're less dependent on them to maintain a spirit of gratitude. But also when the simplicity of Christian gratitude, that you're redeemed, that you're forgiven, that you have an inheritance, when that hits your heart, the difficulties of this life have less power to rob you of gratitude. Doesn't mean they're easy, but it means they have less power. You don't, it's not that you don't care. No, it's because the deepest longings and desires of your heart have already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So when tough decisions come, and they will, 
a time of lack or want and come, and they might. When you face moments of trial, when you face a sickness or pain or maybe even persecution, in these moments, we find our baseline for gratitude is not threatened. It's secure. It's untouched by the difficulties of this life. Despite our trials, we're loved by Jesus. Not just loved by Jesus, Jesus who went through trials himself so that we can be transferred out of darkness and into his life, light. Despite the presence of darkness in our world, we belong to the kingdom of light. And despite the moments of lack, we are waiting for an inheritance that includes the new heavens, the new earth. What more could you ask for? The new heavens and the new earth where every sad thing will come untrue. This baseline, it elevates our hearts and it turns our eyes to our king who reigns on his throne even now in the midst of our broken world. This baseline raises our ships to meet the tide, whether it's coming in or whether it's going out, whether it's brutally painful, like the first Thanksgiving without a loved one at the table, or just some frustrating Friday morning that I had this week. In the end, the baseline of Christian gratitude changes, woe is me, to woe, for me? You did that for me? This is for me? Brothers and sisters, we have more to be grateful for than we could ever lose or ever gain otherwise. So may this season of Thanksgiving be more than a season for me and for you. May it become a baseline for a life of gratitude because of all that God has done for us in Jesus in this life and in the next. Amen? Amen. So as a call to action this week, uh, if you're not a follower of Christ, I'm just gonna put it blunt. You need rescue. You need rescue. The Bible says that, that you are, if you are not in Christ, that you're in the dominion of darkness. You may not feel it in the moment. And we're not saying that you're just a bad person. But what we are saying is that sin separates you from God. You need rescue. And the good news, if you're not a follower of Christ today, is that you can have it today. You can develop a brand new baseline for gratitude that's not circumstantial, that doesn't depend on where you are in life or how well you're doing, but rather it depends upon the Father who loves you and has brought you in. Remember, when I say you need rescue, that's good news because that doesn't mean that you rescue you. It means that you can be passive as God rescues you. So if that's you today, just in the time of prayer, you can do it now. You can wait and come forward and talk to me or whoever. But when you feel in that moment, Lord, I just want to give my life to you. I want, to, I want to put a marker on today to say, like, I am tired of being my own God. Would you be my God? Would you forgive me because of what Jesus has done for me? He will never say no. And I've said this before, but it's just the Lord brought this to my mind now. That in John, not only will he never say no, Jesus says that he will never cast you out. Once you do that, once you become part of the kingdom of light and of the dominion of darkness, he will never go, okay, I'm tired of you now. Back in the dominion of darkness for you. Never. 
In fact, the Greek there is never, never. So it's like a double. I will never, ever cast you out. Some of you today, we need to rescue. Others today, you just need a new baseline. Like you have the baseline for gratitude, but when it comes to ingratitude, like what I felt this week and what I feel quite often, we need to remember. A lot of times for us, it's, it's hard to remember. Maybe you're like me, you, you were, became a Christian at a young age, seven years old, you know, like, I'm like, I was in the dominion of darkness, but I was like stealing toys from friends, you know, like I was picking on my little sister. <clears throat> and sometimes it's like hard to look back and be like, man, I was in this really dark place and, and God saved me because I was so young. But the reality is like, it doesn't change the fact, if that's your story, that your baseline is the same. Well, apart from Christ and his intervention in your life, you would be in darkness. But the comparison is that he's transformed your life. He's ushered you in by grace into his kingdom. So maybe for you today, if you're in Christ and you feel that consistent pull of ingratitude, it's to remind yourself to remember what he's done for you. And to ask the Spirit, Father, when, when I get so frustrated, would you bring to mind all that you've done for me that is untouchable, that I can't lose, that can't be taken? And would you lift my ship for the tide that's coming in today? Maybe that's you today, wherever you are. Let's spend some time talking to the Lord. Let's rejoice. Let's pray. And let's give thanks. Our Father, I, I thank you for how patient you are. I just know my own heart, I know my own parenting. I know how sometimes when my kids are, are ungrateful for things I've done, I get so frustrated. And yet you are so patient. None of us in this room have done more for our kids than you've done for us. Would you make us grateful? You, you know how good it is for us to be grateful. That's why you call us to it. Would you empower us now by your spirit to think about where we have been without you, where we would be without you. And may our song, may our witness, may our testimony in this time be not about us, but be about Jesus and all that he's done for us. May we reflect his goodness in the world. May you stir in us more gratitude, not for Thanksgiving, Lord, but for all year, all time, that we would be a people known for our gratitude in all seasons of life. You can do it. Will you do it? In Jesus' name, amen.